Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Nativity Scene. Nativity Scene. I think we've seen them, they either can be two-dimensional in print or three-dimensional live nativity scenes. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with creating the first nativity scene in 1223. It was a living nativity scene intended thereby to cultivate the worship of Christ. I think Martha Stewart even got in on the act after she got out of prison. I don't know if anybody knows this, but one of the shows, the Christmas show, after she got out of prison, exhibited the nativity scene she sculpted in pottery class at the Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. She remarked on the show, quote, even though every inmate was only allowed to do one a month and I was only there for five months, I begged because I said I was an expert potter, which she is, ceramicist actually, and could I please make the entire nativity scene? And then she presented that on her show. We see these things. I've told this story a few times this week already. So if you've heard this and I've told it here, I know, but it just ties into, well, you know, the guy, New Yorker was down here. Some reporter was driving through East Texas and he drove late one night by the courthouse and there was a nativity scene where they still allow that. And he kind of looked at the nativity scene and kind of looked back again. And the three wise men had fire helmets on. He was like, wow, I must be in Texas because that, you know, what is that about? So he stopped for some coffee down the street, went in, had his coffee and looked at the waitress and said, ma'am, you know, I just got to ask you, I'm not from around here and, you know, I'm not real familiar with all the God and Christian Christmas stuff, but, you know, what's up with your nativity scene and the three wise men having the fire helmets on? She said, well, obviously you don't read your Bible. She said, everybody knows it says right there in the Bible that the three wise men came from afar. So... uh, I didn't say it was funny, you were laughing, so you're determining this. And one more that I can't leave out because it is one of the great ones. It was the day after Christmas at a church in San Francisco. The pastor of the church was looking over the cradle when he noticed that the baby Jesus, which is part of the nativity challenge, is that people steal the baby. They don't take Mary much, but they take the baby. He was looking over the cradle when he noticed that the baby Jesus was missing from among the figures of the nativity set. Immediately he turned and went outside and saw a little boy with a red wagon and in the wagon was the figure of the little infant Jesus. So he walked up to the boy and said, well, where did you get him? My fine friend, the little boy replied, I got him from the church. And why did you take him? The boy said, well, about a week before Christmas, I prayed to the little Lord Jesus and I told him if he would bring me a red wagon for Christmas, I'd give him a ride around the block in it. (laughs) Pretty simple. Nativity means birth. It means the place, the time, and circumstances of a birth. The birth of Jesus Christ is the nativity. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2 and we will read some pretty familiar stuff here. And then I'll read you another couple of verses in the New Testament, and we will be on our way. 
Luke chapter 2, let's just start with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Starts out with one angel. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And then listen to these words. For there is born to you this day in the city of David and never miss these two words, a savior who is Christ the Lord Messiah, Christ, meaning the chosen one, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. There may be more evangelism on the part of angels than on most of us. This angel spit it out, the truth of what was going on. He's on the planet. He has been born this day, a Savior. You finally got your Savior. And it is Christ the Lord, the long-awaited one. And this will be the sign to you. And if you don't believe us, and if you go looking for him, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And then, you know, I don't know how heaven's going to work. Maybe just know all this. But if they're like video stores in heaven, I got like a top 10. This is one of them I'd sure like to rent and watch. Just say, Lord, could you roll it back? You know, go back where the one angel shows up. And then the suddenly part. Slow it down on the suddenly part. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now I don't have words. I don't have anything to communicate what happened out there on that hillside that day. Something amazing had happened in town but the second this Jesus hits the planet, and before he ever showed up, it was foretold. But the second he was actually born, all heaven breaks loose. You cannot contain heaven itself in the declaring of what happened. And my fear in even reading you Luke chapter 2 is that it just becomes the same old story. And somehow, thank God for me at least, I can't turn it into the same old story yet. I read this stuff and it still knocks me down. I cannot get my head in my hands and my arms around the fact that Jesus would leave his throne, he would leave his heaven, materialize down here in some poor little girl's womb for no other reason but to come after me. And I didn't used to understand this. And you say, yeah, but it's us. But you know what? I missed the me in it. Somehow I didn't understand it was for me too. That he said, I'm going in after Richard Ellis. That's who I'm going in after. I'm going in after you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Whatever it takes. If I got to go down there, which that was what was determined before Adam and Eve ever screwed up, it was already determined that Jesus would come because they knew what would happen. 
and somebody would have to come in here and go after us. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, I don't know what you say after you see that, you know, have we been drinking? You know, that's kind of what I would look around. <laughs> I don't remember, but wow. They said to one another, let's go. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. And you'll see in a minute why this is so important. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And I think sometimes you think, well, maybe he made it known to everybody. And I don't know why God does, you know, we don't have any record if the angels went anywhere else. God sometimes just picks people to reveal himself to. And honestly, I don't understand this. You know, people say, well, what about the Muslims? You know, what about all the people on the planet who have never heard of Jesus? What about them? How do they get to believe if they've never heard? There are more and more stories, just if you don't know this, about Muslims nowhere near the United States having dreams that Jesus shows up in their dreams and they are saved. Let me tell you something. God is not limited by anything getting to people that he picks. You say, well, that doesn't sound good. Does God pick some people and not others? You know, there's a thing about predestination in the Bible. We're certainly not going there any more than we have now already. But you know what? I don't get it. I have nothing to show for my being chosen. Are you more special than someone else? Are you less of a sinner than someone else? I'm just some person screwed up like anybody else. And not the angels in my case, and in our case maybe, but God himself shows up and says, look, this thing that stirs at your heart, this thing that you have been able to see and understand and hear, and it's clear as a bell, and you know it's me, and I've wooed you. I have knocked on the door of your heart. I have drawn you to myself. I have given you faith for God's sake, for Christ's sake, for your sake, and everybody else's. Just say thank you and accept the greatest present you're ever going to get. And people say, well, but if I give my life to Christ, he's going to screw it up. He can't do any worse with it than you have. <laughs> Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. I mean, they were hurrying and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, what were they looking for? The sign was, you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So where do you start? You don't start at the hospital. You don't start in hotels. You don't start in homes. You go from barns. You know who knew the barns in town? The shepherds. Just let's go. He's in it. There would be no other baby anywhere in a manger. Once we find one in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, we found him. Now, when they had seen him, and this is important, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now for them, it was a nativity scene. They saw it. For me, I have nothing but someone's word. I have somebody's words written down here, a story told, and supposedly that is true. Now, if it's just somebody's word that it's true, I don't need just somebody's word on it. But if it's God's word that it's true, then I got to think about that. Could this truly be the truth? Is this the real deal? And people say, well, if I had seen it, I'd believe too. That's the thing. It's all these people wrote all this stuff down. They saw all this stuff and that's why they believed. 
And we sometimes say, well, seeing is believing. When it comes to God, believing is really seeing. That's where the seeing comes. Now, I'm going to jump you way down the road to John chapter 20. So go to John chapter 20. Jesus has lived his whole life. He's been arrested. He's been tried. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's been raised from the dead. He's showing up and disappearing already. And in John chapter 20, verse 19 and following, it says this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. He's alive. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, now look at what he says, I will not believe. So you've got one disciple, you got 11 left, 10 of them were in the right place at the right time to see Jesus, and one of them's not there. So 10 out of 12 believe, and one of those disciples, no matter what he's experienced, no matter even what the other 10 say, he says, I'm not going to believe it till I see it myself with my own eyes. You got that experience, I got to have that experience. So keep reading. Now, this is very fascinating. Not the next day, not later that day, not a couple of days later. Jesus makes him cook for eight days. And think about it. Everybody else is running around with this faith, with this sight, with this understanding that Jesus has died, but they have put their fingers in the holes in his hands, in his side. They have seen him alive. And Thomas says, I will not believe unless I see him as well. Now, here's my question for you. It took Thomas eight days, and you'll see here why he finally believed. How long has it taken you? How long did it take you? How long is it going to take you? What do you got to see? And whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you get that running. You know what? You got hope most people don't know anything about. Now, here's my question for you. Either you have never met a genuine, bona fide, straight up believer and follower of Jesus Christ, and you've just met a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of, you know, problem people out there. I'm telling you, if you just meet a real live Christian, it'll be easier to believe because you can't be a Christian without having Christ. You can't see a change in a Christian unless you see the changes brought about by Christ himself. So you've got evidence. You say, but it's not him in the flesh. Yes, it is. The church is Christ in the flesh. People walk in these doors, go into churches that assemble in whatever kind of place, under trees, in huts, in hiding some places on the planet. And people literally walk into the presence of a gathering of people and are afraid. They want to get away from them sometimes. They go in and are just enveloped by that bunch of people and go, something is here. Someone is here. I cannot explain it. What is this? 
and feel almost the atmospheric pressure of the presence of God on their physical bodies and they cannot figure out why they can't get that air inside of them. And then one day they take a deep breath of faith and say, God, I can't breathe anymore. I can't live anymore. I don't want to live this way, die this way. Please, for my sake, for your sake, for Christ's sake, for everybody's sake, I am a sinner. I have screwed up. I get it why Jesus came, why he lived, why he died, why he was buried and raised from the dead. Please come live in me. I can't take it anymore without you. And all of a sudden, their spiritual lungs are unstopped and they breathe that air, that holy heavenly air, and everything changes. And now the presence that they feel in those gatherings is inside of that person. And even when they leave that place or that gathering of people, they know they're never alone. You got that? That'll take your breath away. Now, Jesus was merciful to Thomas, but eight days is a long time when everybody else gets it and you don't, and you're locked up. Unless I see it, I will not believe. And look what happens. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, now, see, how does Jesus know what you're thinking? He was not there when Thomas said all this stuff, but he was. Then he said to Thomas, specifically to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And who is he talking about? Us. We are the blessed ones. I've seen nothing but Larry. I've seen nothing but John. I've seen nothing but Pat and Nancy and a whole bunch of people I'm looking at right now. You say, well, you're mistaken. I'm not all that that you think I am. I don't think you're anything. I think he's something. I think he's something else. And if you're anything or I'm anything, it's because slowly but surely we get out of the way and just say, Lord Jesus, you can have me. You can have my mind, my soul, my body, my heart, my ears, my mouth, my hands, feet. You can have me. And I've just prayed to God that people will see less of me and more of you and that my little bitty life can make some kind of difference for your glory, for your honor, for you. And then it goes on to say in verse 30, in the same chapter, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, the ones that he gives us, the ones that we get to read in the book, the ones that are here, these are written, why? that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why it all got written down. Now you say, well, I just don't believe it. And I say, well, it's not going to go well for you. It's not going to be any better for you than it has up to this point. It's just probably going to get worse. Because all the I think I can's, I think I can's, I think I can's that you can muster won't get you into heaven all the positive thinking, all the books, 
all the tapes, all the anything you can put in your head and in your mind, in your heart, somewhere inside of you will not trump what one man can do to change your life. And his sweet name is Jesus. Now, how do you get a nativity scene in your own life, a birth in your own life? The only way it's going to be seen nowadays is by faith. And the book says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have heard it. I'm off the hook. It is your responsibility now. And one of my favorite things to share that people say to me repeatedly, I share the gospel with them and they will say, it just can't be that easy. And my answer is easy for who? You leave heaven, you be born, you live down in this mess, this hell hole of a planet. Sin, never touched sin, never seen sin. You let them beat you within an inch of your life and then take it on a cross and let them stick you in the ground, raise you from the dead. You say, well, it all turned out good. It wasn't all good. You say, well, it's just too easy. It was not easy for Jesus to make it so easy for me and for you. Sooner or later in your life, you get something even at Christmas. Somebody hands you something that really is priceless. It has no value. You can't begin to put a price on it, but because it means so much to the person who gives it to you that when you get it, you are completely overwhelmed and you almost have moments where you say, I cannot accept this because I know it costs you so much. I know it means so much to you. I know where it comes from. And you almost say, no, thank you, because it is too overwhelming to receive the gift. If you ever really understand how expensive this gift of eternal life is, there will be a moment where you almost fall on your knees and woe is me, I am undone. I do not deserve this great love, this great gift. And then because you know if you don't take it, you are done. You reach up with the hands of your heart, as it were, and say, God, you know I know I don't deserve this but I will not make it without you and without this gift. So I humbly, repentantly, gladly accept your mercy and your grace and your love. And I ask you to live in me too and to change me too and let me be somebody's nativity scene in somebody else's life. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest, real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. Let's pray. And our Father, I thank you so very much that this stuff makes more sense to me even along the way. Sometimes small children have no idea the sacrifices that are made for gifts to be delivered, things that Fathers and mothers go without to deliver Christmas. Help us as grown men and women, young people, boys and girls, get a better understanding every day that you went without your son, seated there at your right hand, and literally had to turn your back on him for him to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made 
the righteousness of God in him. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making it possible for us and that it is possible even now. May somebody listening now just say, okay, God, I'm done. I get it. I can't fight this anymore. I do see how expensive it was and that I got you strung up on that cross. I'm part of the problem. I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I accept the forgiveness of my sins. I accept this gift of eternal life. I'm going to start agreeing with what you say instead of arguing so much. Come live in me and through me. Fill me. I breathe you in, as it were. I accept your life in exchange for my old sorry life, like being born all over again. Let my heart, my life, be your nativity scene in the world right now that many would see the difference you've made in my life. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we cry out with those angels that fly around that throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Beginning with us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us, richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.